Right. Uh, my dog is at the door, so I'm going to go and step over there and get her inside. Okay. And then I think we should probably start because everything we've said to this point cannot be included <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> All right. We'll 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 do some proper banter in a second. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. I'm just going to sit here and right drink here. my cup of tea. Right here. Deaf dog. Behind the scenes of random but memorable, Rue shouting at his dog, Matt slurping some tea. <laughs> Honestly, Anna, you complain to us about a recordable environment. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I think we should jump over to some Watchtower Weekly then. Oh, okay, great. Ring doorbell gives Facebook and Google user data. The EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, discovered the Ring app was, quote, packed with third-party tracking, sending out customers' personally identifiable information, or PII, if you're cool. Nice. I like how you said packed there. Oh, packed. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know. <laughs> Four main adal- analytics and marketing companies were discovered to be receiving a range of information, including names, private IP addresses, mobile network carriers, persistent identifiers, and sensor data on the devices of its customers. Now, interestingly enough, so this was in the app itself, so not the actual ring doorbell unit but the the app that is that people can install on their devices do you know the horrible thing what's that i bet this is standard oh yeah i bet it is like all the things they're sending here they're sending to uh, a company called apps flyer which you know we do not have in our app no because it sends lots of information to lots of places and you can't really control it i remember having conversations with them actually uh, when they were trying to get us to do something and we were just like hey can we have a look at your kind of security model of, of how you you know might anonymize data and all this kind of stuff and uh yeah the, the line went said very quickly like he's asking about stuff we don't do what do we say quick <laughs> look that way and run <laughs> yeah ring has assured its customers that it has limited the amount of data that's shared which is probably complete nonsense <laughs> that's me editorializing a little bit uh whatever yeah the, the interesting thing is that apps flyer also get all the the sensors in, installed on your device right so the magnetometer Magnetometer? Magnometer. Magnometer. I doubt it's that. Gyroscope and accelerometer and calibration settings and everything like that. Yep. They actually punt all that through things like Crashlytics and things like Apps Flyer. Like they're sending data everywhere. Again, I bet this is the, the standard. Thankful to the EFF for doing research into things like this. Yeah. I think the issue here as well is that they've only disclosed one of the third party companies involved in their privacy policy. So there's actually numerous ones. So Facebook, Branch, Apps Flyer, as you mentioned, Mix Panel and Google's own Crash Analytics. So there's so many more that people weren't aware of. Yeah, it's the same for websites as well, right? When when you have an external JavaScript file and then what that external JavaScript file is just doing is, is sending out you know, to three other external JavaScript files and then where it's sending it after that, you don't really know. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I bet that from like just a purely data point of view, like removing privacy from it altogether, which is clearly what they've done here, you can probably create a pretty cool picture of like, you know, usage models and and sort of... I bet they know people before they get to your door. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not good. It's, It's neat, but it's not good. So uh, the company told Gizmodo, like many companies, Ring uses third-party service providers to evaluate the use of our mobile app, which helps us improve features, optimize the customer experience, and evaluate the effectiveness 
of our marketing. It is like, you know, the way that we do things is very different from the normal, that we don't have these third-party services that we, we send all our mobile data to and, and stuff like that. It's very difficult the way that we build stuff. And I actually had a blog post out a couple of days ago that was about... Shameless self-promotion, Matt. Yeah, sorry. I, I read it. <laughs> it was on the company blog, like, you know. Oh, it was good. <laughs> but, but it was all about, you know, we're so used to it internally that we don't have this information. But actually, it's it's kind of unique that we don't. We're building a mobile app, you know, that's core to people's use cases and, and all this kind of stuff. And we have no idea about the behavioral aspects in the way people use it. It's kind of designing blind, and the blog post goes into more detail about this, but essentially we have to ask people how they use the app and try and get them in situations where, you know, we can talk to them on a, on a really casual basis and, and gain information and insight in addition to things like user testing. Right. Yeah, our feedback loop is very anecdotal. You know, I remember, Matt, like a few years ago when we redesigned the favorite screen on iOS and it became sort of this like when you tap on an item, it, it sort of expands down and gives you right there in line the ability to tap on your username and copy it or tap on the password to copy it. And we designed and built this thing and shipped it all under the hope that like we thought we'd made something good, but we hoped that our customers thought so too. And then it was just after it was out trolling Twitter and seeing like, do people like this or does this suck? You know, happily they liked it. Yeah. It's that's generally the way that we build stuff, but I, you know, this is the standard. It is to have, you know, quantitative analytics on how many people tapped this button and how many people visited this website inside the app and, when you think about how a password manager works, you definitely don't want that from us. Yeah, I, I don't really want it from my doorbell company either. <laughs> no. You know what else? I don't have any proof on this whatsoever, but like, I also get the impression that all this data, these analytics, probably don't really make it back into the hands of the product designers. That I, I don't think that it feeds back into the product design, mm. which is what they claim. Like, oh, this helps us optimize it. it. It probably feeds back into the marketing. It feeds back into the marketing, yes. And it helps them target people better. But I don't think that it actually improves the product in any way. Very true. All right, moving on. Google have accidentally exported videos to unrelated users' archives. So I, I think what they're doing here is, is when you say, I want to download this thing in the cloud... They are zipping up data and moving it to another area and then giving you a link for that. And what they've done here is moved data to an area, zipped it up, and it's just had someone else's data in there as well. And then they've zipped it up. But the worst thing is the email that they sent around telling people of this had the phrase, if you downloaded your data, it may be incomplete and it may contain videos that are not yours. <sighs> oh my gosh. <laughs> just nonchalantly, you know, oh, that might not be you. This is this this is a hard one. I, I use Google Photos. I love it. I, I, I think it's one of the best things that they've made. I understand the concerns around it as with any Google product. Yeah. And this was tweeted by John Oberhide and he followed up this tweet by saying, to be clear, this is a big screw up. I hope the number of affected parties is small, but the impact of those parties could be high and very unsettling. But my real beef is with the nonchalant and non-specific notification email. Hopefully Google follows up with more comms. Yeah. So I, I have traded a small part of my privacy for... Uh... <laughs> 
for for convenience in in this instance and yeah i really hope that they sent this to a very small amount of people but the impact for those very small amount of people could be extreme yeah should we talk about apple and their uh Simple security upgrade for SMS two-factor authentication codes? Yeah. I haven't actually heard anything about this, which is nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, so Apple engineers think that they've come up with a simple way to make SMS two-factor authentication and one-time codes less susceptible to phishing attacks. The solution they propose is to agree on a common text format so their use can be automated without the need for risky user interception. Uh, The concept proposed by the company's Safari WebKit team is that apps such as mobile browsers will automatically process SMS text codes as they are received, submitting them to the correct website. So this is like, you know, when you're sitting on that thing, it's like, oh, we've texted you a code and you're, you're staring at the field. Safari would just automatically fill it and submit it as soon as it shows up. So they say this dodges today's hazard that phishing websites can first fool people into entering their password and username before asking them to submit the correct two-factor authentication code sent to their phone uh, to the same bogus site. But for the idea to be feasible, three problems must be overcome. First of these is that today's codes are sent in a range of text formats that make extracting the correct 2FA data and website domain difficult. Apple's suggestion is a lightweight text format designed to be about as simple as it gets, the first line being used to identify the message to the recipient, the second being the part that apps would process, including the correct URL. Uh, And then users receiving one of the new 2FA texts wouldn't have to do anything. The data would be automatically extracted by the app doing the authentication. The second problem is making this thing universal. This is something that all the big names would need to sign up for. Uh, So, so far, only Google seems interested, while Mozilla and Microsoft have yet to make their positions clear. But even if they jump aboard, there's there's a third problem, namely the growing feeling that SMS text verification is an inherently insecure idea companies just need to stop using, period. I think I agree with the last bit there. I do too. We should just stop using this and and start using time-based. Yeah, I mean, that's the superior option. But at the same time, I sort of like that Apple is trying to make improvements to the world that we live in which is the fact that like there's just an overwhelmingly large number of of services that use the phone based or phone number based text based sms so if they can push some improvements there you know that's a good thing yeah i was listening to a podcast the other day and someone was being contacted on facebook and asked for the two-factor code that got sent through just asked for it in a in a chat they were like hey did you get that six digit uh code i sent you would you mind pasting it here the person immediately did it yeah of course yeah yeah i just think mm, we need to <laughs> we need to get education better around that because that's pretty awful yeah yeah oh wait hang on do we want to even do this last one we've been doing a lot of watchtower weekly we've got to hurry up because i've run out of tea now <gasps> oh man Uh, So, Anna, do you want to talk about how it's done? Yeah, of course. So we featured this segment on the podcast before. All our avid listeners will be able to remember probably the first How It's Done, where we explored WannaCry, the well-known ransomware attack, and we kind of delved in a little deeper into how it works and the impact it had. So this week, we're going to look at Dark Hotel, which has a kind of cool and mysterious name. And to me, it sounds like some sort of video game or horror film. Yeah, I played that back in 2004. It was good. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure the stakes are a lot higher here than, say, a video game. So let's dive in and see what we can find. Uh, So there is an article on Wired uh, from 2014 talking about the Dark Hotel malware. Dark Hotel is a targeted spear phishing spyware and malware spreading campaign that appears to be selectively attacking business hotel visitors 
through the hotel's in-house Wi-Fi network. Now, quick pause. I am always wary whenever I connect to any public Wi-Fi, like, and especially in a hotel, because I'm like, how many other people? Like, there's obviously this hotel is full of people who are on this Wi-Fi, and it just seems like such a ripe target for for someone to either man in the middle of the network or you know do 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 this where the targeted spear phishing and malware spreading i just hate i hate hotel wi-fi yeah i find bluetooth as well is is a, quite dodgy like you switch on bluetooth and then it, it comes up with all kinds of stuff <laughs> like there's so many people using like connected devices in in a small amount of space yeah so these attacks are specifically targeted at senior company executives in investments and development, government agencies, defense industries, electronic manufacturers, and energy policymakers. The nature of the attack means they're able to target specific users staying at luxury hotels, primarily in Asia and the United States. So hence the name Dark Hotel. Dark Hotel has been actively infecting users through spear phishing and peer-to-peer networks since 2007. Oh my gosh. And as early as July 2017, Bitdefender published new research about Inexmar, another version of the Dark Hotel uh, malware, which was used to target political figures instead of business targets. So, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about like how this thing actually targets people? Sure. The, the attackers seem to take kind of a, a two-pronged approach using uh, a, P- a P2P, peer-to-peer campaign, uh, to infect as many victims as possible. Then the spear phishing and, and hotel attacks for, you know, kind of surgically targeted attacks. In the P2P attacks, thousands of victims are infected with a botnet-like malware uh, during the initial stage. But if the victim turns out to be interesting, the attackers go a step further to place a backdoor on the the system to exfiltrate things like documents and, and data. By uploading malicious code to hotel servers, attackers are likely to target specific users who are guests at those luxury hotels. It's, it's a pretty neat attack to be honest (laughs) like uh, attacking luxury hotels where they probably have high you know worth guests and not so much of the it infrastructure so they're actually compromising like the hotel uh, web infrastructure in order to then attack the guests exactly yeah wow they also managed to crack weak digital signing keys to generate certificates for signing their malware in order to make malicious files seem to be legitimate software. Dark Hotel forged these digital certificates generating uh, by factoring, uh, generated by factoring the underlying weak public keys of real certificates to convince victims that prompted software downloads are actually valid. Once attackers are in the victim's computer, sensitive information such as you know, passwords, intellectual property are quickly stolen before attackers erase their tools in hopes of, you know, not getting caught. At one point, the attackers had about 200 uh, command and control servers set up to manage the operation. Wow. Uh, some, some researchers had reportedly gained access to some of the servers where they found unprotected logs, identifying thousands of infected systems. A lot of the machines in the attackers' logs turned out to be sandboxes set up by researchers to ensnare and study this this botnet, showing how indiscriminately the attackers were in their P2P campaign. This led to the uh, attackers shutting down much of their of their command structure. 200 servers, that sounds like a pretty massive operation. Yeah, yeah. They're doing all of that attack to kind of 
you know, spread their net as wide as possible to to even find their victim. Mm. So, I mean, who are we dealing here? Like, what, is, is this your average, you know, hacked, hacker actor? So it kind of comes as no surprise that it is a sophisticated threat actor. The kernel mode keylogger is rarely seen and is difficult to pull off. So also with the reverse engineering of the certificate and the leveraging of zero days, it kind of puts them in a very special category operating at the core of the machine rather than the user level where most software applications run allows the malware to better bypass antivirus scanners and other detection systems but kernel mode malware requires a skillful touch since it can easily crash a system if it's not well designed so do we know who's behind this then so i mean signs point to south korea the targets have been like nuclear themed and targets in the spear phishing attacks have been high profile executives uh, among them a media executive from from asia as well as government agencies the primary targets however do appear to be in north korea japan and india uh, researchers point out that one variant of the malware the attackers used was designed to shut down if it found itself on a machine whose code page was set to Korean. So the the key logger the use, attackers used also has Korean characters inside and appears to have ties to a coder in South Korea. The sophisticated nature of the key logger as well as the attack on the RSA keys indicates that Dark Hotel is likely a, a nation-state campaign or at least a nation-state-supported campaign. Good lord. Yeah. Uh, would there have been a, a fault in the specific hotel or hotel chain's Wi-Fi hardware for this to happen? And like, what what makes you a, a avoid being a victim if you're a hotel guest to this? Uh, well, the most promising theory is that the hotels are using a specific hardware that actually has a vulnerability. So you can kind of protect yourself by installing a quality internet security software, maintain and update system software regularly as well, and use a VPN when accessing public Wi-Fi. You can also consider executables shared over P2P networks suspicious. And when traveling, consider that software updates might be suspicious too. Who? All right. So who who actually installs software that's, that's, like, that's coming to them over a peer-to-peer network? In my mind, it's like when you uh, get AirDrop dropped a photo have you ever have you ever done that have you ever opened a photo that you've been airdropped in like a crowded place no but i know that it's happened to you sometimes i get dog photos and and stuff like that in in airports airports are the the best place for it so i mean if you get an application sent to you over airdrop or you know through this kind of p2p network thing don't open it. No. Yeah. Like, not, I, curiosity definitely got the cat infected with malware, all right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> just don't go to dodgy hotels. Well, luxury hotels in this game. Some of the luxury ones are the most dodgy. <laughs> all right, what's, uh, are we, are we doing a giveaway? We are doing a giveaway. Have we actually shipped anything out to the people that have previously won things from our giveaways? Yes, we have. This is the thing about a growing company, right? Uh-huh. Other people now do things, oh. and I'm not aware of them. <laughs> so I just gave a whole load of swag to Anna, and I'm assuming that Anna has sent this stuff off, whereas it used to be me. So, yeah, like, please, people on Twitter, if you've received your swag, send us a little picture and prove to Rue that you have received it, because I have posted it. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> so we had a hilarious review from Henrik 
which read that our show was, quote, nice to enjoy when it's time for bedtime, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. You know, any voice you can you can fall asleep to is, is, is a good voice, in my opinion. So for our next giveaway, we would like the fans of the show to review us, letting us know how much they love falling asleep to the podcast. God, these always feel so, so <laughs> dirty to do. Give us a review and we'll send you some swag. Like, no. Okay. Anyway. I, I think we can make it a review or a tweet. Okay. If you're uncomfortable reviewing us, I mean, yeah, Lord knows why. Well, I mean, but like, yeah, we'd love your reviews, but, you know. If you're uncomfortable reviewing us, you can also tweet us with, with your tweet review. That's how you enter. Yeah. I mean, if you're really privacy conscious, you can send a postcard into <laughs> the address on the bottom of onepassword.com. If anyone sends a postcard to us, they will automatically win. Okay? Just, I'm no, just say that. no, they absolutely won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's how it's going to work. Just One, it'll take us three months to get that postcard because no one's ever <laughs> in the office. <laughs> and we'll forget. And we'll forget, yeah. And we'll go, what is this what is this postcard for? And they would have to put a return address on it, you know? All that private information yeah. in the post. Uh, just remember to use the uh, the hashtag AskOnePassword, and our favorite will win some swag. Uh, we're also going to send some swag to Henrik as well, uh, as his review inspired this giveaway. So, you know, we're going to run this to the end of the month, uh, my birthday month, so you have until <laughs> the day after my birthday to enter. Which is the 29th of February. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I assume <laughs> yeah, just my birthday. Him. Let's just dox Rue's birthday there. <laughs> That's fine. I post it on Twitter every single year. It's not hard to find my birthday. We're not doing podcast cakes anymore after last week. That's over. Yeah, you ruined that one, Anna. It's not my fault. Jesus. I mean... 100% your fault that your birthday wasn't on the date that you requested it. <laughs> uh, that was hilarious to edit that episode. It's like the highlight of my week. <laughs> That's great. So you missed the best bit. Apparently, we are going to read these out in the voice of Matthew McConaughey. These reviews, yeah. How confident are you in your Matthew McConaughey voice? Um, I have to prepare for it. He does a parody of himself, I find as well. Like he he goes further into his own voice, especially when he says, "All right, all right, all right." Oh, wow, that was pretty good. Uh, that wasn't too bad. Yeah, I'm not going to attempt. No, you're you're not going to follow that now. Is what <laughs> is what you mean? Then. I don't want to embarrass you, so no. Okay, I feel like I should read out the real or not real. In Matthew McConaughey's voice. Go on then. Okay, I've got to stop smiling because you can't do a Matthew McConaughey voice while smiling. The five second rule actually works. (laughs) (laughs) That was terrible. It was was okay. Mediocre. The five second rule actually works. Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. What are we thinking? Real or not real? Um, No, I think this is wrong. I I don't think bacteria kind of crawls onto it. So... It's like touch, isn't it? As soon as you touch something, the bacteria moves from one surface onto the other. It's not like it. the longer that you leave it... Should we explain what the five-second rule is for people that don't know? Yeah, when you drop something on the floor, you, you if it's been on the floor for four and a half seconds, then it's fine. But as soon as it's five seconds, you, you have to then put that in the bin rather than eat it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one, this entirely depends on the floor. I wouldn't recommend doing this in a hospital. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, there's definitely places where this is okay. Like if you drop it on the floor and there's conveniently a washed up plate on the floor, I feel like you've got more than five seconds there. That'd be fine. So less than the floor, it depends on the thing that you are dropping. Oh, you think. Okay. If it's a dry cracker, <laughs> it's fine. Well, then it also depends on what you drop it on. I'm I'm going with the five second rule is so complicated that it depends on so many aspects that time is not one of them. I think that that's true. 
I think that the, the time is uh, has no bearing, and that it is actually it's the materials both of the thing you're dropping and the thing onto which it is being mm. dropped. That's a very complex way of saying not real, right? You're going not real. Yeah, not real. Yeah, not real. Yeah, you are right because floors are generally filthy, yep. <laughs> and salmonella, for example, can lurk in the cracks between tiles for weeks, even if you've mopped up recently. Ooh. So you can retrieve your morsel in a tenth of a second, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. Ah, the tenth of a second rule. I like that one. But yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make any difference. So if, as soon as it makes contact with the floor, that's it. Okay, well, I think we've learned something that we should have already known. Yeah. <laughs> About personal hygiene. Don't eat food off the floor, guys. It doesn't end well. So with that, I think we're good. Next episode, we have a a very special episode. (laughs) It's the cruise edition. We are either going to have a a drunken episode with me and Rue that's late, Mm -hmm. late, late night, Mm. where the sun is almost coming up. Oh, wow. Or uh, we're going to skip that one because we're too busy and we go straight to the three of us recording in some afternoon somewhere. (laughs) All right, all right. Probably a bit more sober and composed, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be equally as fun. I think so. I will see you next time. Ooh, yes, we will. Yeah, see you on the next one. All right, love you both. Love you, Rue. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.